And Verona gets it out for Kuznetsov, who could not hold the pass at center. Slid back in. And now here's Forsberg breaking in. He scores! Matt Duchesne sets up another. It's 1-1. Dipped onto the board for Yarncroak. Yarncroak down the right wing with it. Breaking in. Arvidsson with Johansson. Johansson scores! Johansson, right circle, drags it, shoots it. And then Arvidsson with the try. And the Predators put in the rebound. Here's Forsberg now. Left circle. And Brett Duchesne scores! Matt Duchesne ties it up. To the side of the net. Trying to put it front by Sissel. Oh. And he tipped it in. Nick Benino in front. It's 5-5. Yarncroke got in the way. Yarncroke spins on that left board. To the blue line. Echo in the shot. He scores. Matias Echo gives the Predators back to me. It's five seconds to go. Kuznetsov with it. Two seconds. Does a shot in and that's it. What a comeback tonight by Nashville. And we welcome you into Morning Drive live here on a Friday. Nick Braden, D-Mace, Marquise, ESPN 102.5 The Game. You heard it last night right here on 102.5 The Game. Pete Weber with the call on the Predators radio network as the Nashville Predators rally from a 4-2 deficit after two periods and score a four spot in the final 20 minutes, picking up a 6-5 win over the Capitals. Stanley, we're calling you. Stanley, come out and play. God, sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> Not to get it confused with Stanley from Friday. <laughs> sounds, yeah, Stanley Cup. Sounds like Stanley, a, come out and play. Sounds like a clown is asking for children to come out and get some candy. Yeah, the Stanley is lurking around a corner. Stanley, come home. Dinner's ready. <laughs> the Stanley is around a corner. Um, I mean, no, it's it's early on, so we get the. We have well, it's the Friday. right to, yeah, it's Friday, so we can overreact. So Jeremy Pruitt um, said. Yeah, I'm going to overreact again right now. Pecorino should never be in the net again. He gave up five goals. Where's Soros? Okay, Pekka should never be in the net again. We're, I'm done. <laughs> so you're flipping. I'm yeah, I'm flipping. I'm done. Soros should start the remainder of the game. What is it, 70-some games, 79, 78 games left? Right. Soros should start Every game from here on out. Pecorino, sit on the bench. Your time is up. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, yeah. But it's overreaction. Yeah. Friday, yeah. So, yeah. no, people, I'm just getting kidding. I don't want nobody to call Sean Henry. And, uh, you know, he called, he called me. Um, but, no, Sean, I'm just playing. Um, no, this team, this team is – we spoke with, with – with Skillsy. Can I call him Skillsy? Yes, the poll results revealed that. Two-thirds of the people. So you just changed because you were the one that was yeah. against it, and now you're the first one calling him <laughs> You Skilzy. perpetrator, you. <laughs> no, but uh, Skillsy, we, we asked him that question yesterday, or well, at least I did, um, that this, for some reason, it just seems like this thing, from a scoring standpoint anyway, this thing is kind of flowing, uh, and the puck is moving seamlessly through through the ice and, and guys are getting it from one guy to the other and they're putting it on net um, as quickly as possible. And it was evident yesterday. I mean, at one point when they were down 4-2, they scored two goals in less than – in between. it was like a minute and something between each goal. And then once they, you know, once they tied up, they go again with another two-hitter in less than, what, 40 seconds? Mm-hmm. Um, that shows you the firepower. They are – I'm calling them the Kansas City Chiefs 
of the NHL right now because <laughs> they are able to put up goals in bunches. Those guys, I mean, they – I don't know what it is about them. So does, mean, that, does that make uh, Matt Duchesne yeah, the Patrick Mahomes because yeah, he's the trigger man? Duchesne's the Mahomes, and then we have a bunch of other guys that just, man, they just – it's 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 a good thing to see, and and I don't think we we saw a little bit of this last year at the beginning of the year, um, but then guys got end up getting hurt. Um, but I don't think it ever flowed this smoothly, um, um, as far as being able to score and being able to you know guys setting up other guys, and it doesn't seem like you know they're fighting and 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 and, and grinding for a goal. It's like okay. It's time to pick it up, and they end up, you know, doing what they do best and and putting the ball on net and scoring. So, I mean, they never gave up. And again, I know it's early, but I think this. I believe in momentum, and if they can continue to do this, they'd be one of the better teams in the National Hockey League last night. I mean, right now, who wouldn't want to sign up for Preds and Caps Stanley Cup final? That, that would be an awesome Stanley. It Cup, It would be a man. fire Goodness. series. Um, so it's uh, kudos to to. To the, to the Preds because um, they put that sucker in fifth gear and they they roll with it that third and fourth period. I mean, Man, uh, second and th- uh, third period. Yeah, 19 goals in four games. That's almost five per game. I'm not good at math, but it's almost five per game, which is, uh, you know, it's you can't keep that up. It's not possible. But you now have Matthew Shane with eight points, got his first tally last night with, in, a big, in a big spot on, on what was – one of the most beautiful pl- hockey plays I've seen all season. Mikhail Mc- Granlin goes into the boards, pinches, takes the puck away, feeds it across to Forsberg, who does a little dipsy do in the slot with a beautiful backhand slide over to Duchesne, and then Duchesne finishes. And you're like, oh, that's why that guy's making eight million. That's why that guy's making five point seven five, and that's why that guy's making six. That's that's why that line is working so well. It's just an unbelievable play, and and then they continued to to grind and. Frankly, the defense let them down a lot last night. I mean, they, they would they would fight back and get it tied, and then the Caps would take a lead. Then the Caps would go up 4-2. Then they'd fight back and make it 4-4. Then the Caps would take a lead 5-4. And then they'd fight back and tie it up, and then Matias Ekholm with the blast from the point gets it in there, and they go 6-5. And Listen, one, one of the things just through four games without overreacting, certainly you guys have already addressed the offense. The one thing that I, w- that I have taken away now sort of on a four-game, like looking – Stepping back and looking at all four games, they've trailed in every game um, outside of um, the game Tuesday night against San Jose. They they have shown a ton of resiliency. The ability to come back from leads is a really important characteristic and trait to build up over time. You want to build that up over, over the course of an 82-game season, the ability to, hey, when you're down a goal or even two like last night, that it's not that big. You don't feel out of it, that you still feel confident in your abilities. That, that's a really good positive trait to have going into the playoffs. You also don't always want to be playing from behind. That's not necessarily what you want to do. So defensively last night, of course, it, you know, you got to work on some stuff. And, you know, Ovechkin was just at, at times superhuman, uh, drawing penalties and creating plays. And that's just sort of what he does. You have to take that for what it is. So one of the big takeaways for me last night, outside of the fact that like six guys are on pace for a point per game, <laughs> which is insane. We we were asking questions before the year, like, "Hey, could Forsberg be a point per game guy? Who else? I don't know." Well, there's six of them right now that are on pace for for a point per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arvidsson's got four points. Ekholm's got four points. Yossi's got four points. Johansson's got two two goals uh, and an ass- and three assists. 
Forsberg's got four goals and two assists, and Duchesne, of course, seven apples and a goal. Um, they're all on pace for more than 82 points. So, again, we can have a little fun with tracking that. But the offense has been spectacular. Definitely. What, what a comeback win. Definitely a calm resiliency to this team. It doesn't seem like anything seems to phase them because they know they're that good and they can rally back and flip a switch. And it's not just, oh, we can flip a switch. Yeah. We do flip a switch. Like last year we were saying, okay, when are they going to flip the switch? When are they going to flip the switch? Well, they do it, and they've done it so far through four games, picking up six of a possible eight points. Uh, you talk about the, the points per game and the balance and the offense. This was the screenshot on Fox Sports Tennessee last night prior to the game. 13 goals in their first three, which was most in franchise history. 16 of 19 skaters have registered a point. Eight players with at least two points and nine players with at least one goal. I mean, they can run four lines deep with guys that have firepower. Yeah, listen, and like Benino comes up with a huge goal last night where I'm not even sure if he saw it. It just was a, a – I'm going to bust it to get to the middle of the net. I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to have my stick on the ice and, and hope that the puck hits me and got a great delivery there and puts it in the back of the net. And you're just kind of going, oh, my gosh, how did that happen? So it, it just a great great hockey game um, You know, reg, from a regular season standpoint, East-West Conference opponents there. You know some 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 rivalry there between between Washington and Nashville certainly with the Barry Trotz old Barry Trotz combination, um, but man it was it, it that game seems to always be really good when these two teams get together and last night what what a roller coaster for Bridgestone Arena I mean if you're a fan that was at that game you had to have had a a great time because that was you know up and down and up and down and back and forth so just an absolute just so much fun and even better when you come out on top but. You, know, you can't be giving up five goals, and you can't be giving up multiple leads and multiple goal leads because you're not normally going to come back from those. Two goals from Ryan Johansson, and then single goals from Philip Forsberg, Matias Ekholm, Nick Benino, Matt Duchesne. And again, we're talking about that quote second line, although it might be the first line or it might be 1A and 1B, but the bottom line, Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, that connection, they look like they've been playing together for a dozen years. Yeah, and, and Granlin too. I mean, don't forget, and Granlin's going to be the forgotten guy because Forsberg is so well thought of and Duchesne was the big acquisition, the the prize that they have coveted for for years. But Granlin is a totally different player from from the, the games he played last year. Now, he also, if you remember, I think when he was acquired last year, I think it was like not only his birthday, but also the day his wife gave birth. Yep. So like you, like... I, I, the, the energy and pace and tempo with which he's playing right now is far different than what we saw last year. Um, some of that's comfortable and just being comfortable with your line mates. But he's playing just as well. The number of chances he had last night that didn't go in uh, because he's playing with those two guys, he, he, he's, a, he's a buzzsaw right now all over the ice as well. It's not just Forsberg and Duchesne. I think they're all, uh, whether it be the first line, second line, third or fourth, they're all playing their role to the T. They're all doing something. Um, to impact the game in a positive way. Um, I think it's all rubbing off on one another. Um, it's, I see it as a, I almost see it as a healthy competition between the lines, you know, because it's like, okay, you did this, I want to do this. Yeah, it's you're competing of, for ice time. Yeah, you're competing for ice time, so it's this healthy competition between, sure. you know, between the lines, and, and that's what you want to have. I think that's what helps make teams the good teams become the great teams because they're competing with one another in a good way yeah it's like the it's like oklahoma wide receivers exactly oklahoma wide receivers are always like oh you went seven catches for 120 yards i gotta get mine exactly they they just you know 
Lincoln Riley says, okay, you run wide open, and you run wide open. <laughs> you get a touchdown, and you get a yeah, touchdown. Yeah, like Oprah, just passing out Heismans. You get a Heisman, and you get a Heisman. All right, Preds fans, if you want to jump in, your reaction from last night's exhilarating come-from-behind win, 737-1025, the number, 615-737-1025. We have an action-packed show this morning. Josh Ward is going to join us. Teron Davenport's going to stop by. D-Mace has got uh-huh. his dissection of the All-22. I already see the laptop is up. So we got a lot to do this morning. Your reaction to the Preds. Also, your thoughts, Titans-Broncos. We've got college football, the SEC. Busy Friday morning. We're coming back right after this. Preds calls, and then we'll delve into the Titans and the Broncos coming up on Sunday. It's Morning Drive. We are live from the Wholesaling Studio, powered by RumbleOn.com. 617, welcome back into Morning Drive. Nick Braden, D-Mace, Marquise, live here on an action-packed Friday edition. Titans and the Broncos, we'll get to in just a second, but we do have a bone to pick with one of our favorite guests on the show each and every week, and it's our buddy Chris Mason, who last night during the broadcast was reading a promo for Fox Sports Tennessee, and he pronounced the city of Louisville, which is how I would say it. You have to say it like you have a bag of marbles in your mouth. Louisville. Louisville. He called it Louisville. Oh, God. I feel like we should <laughs> And Willie Donick immediately was like, uh, yeah, that's wrong. I, I, I feel like we should wait so that we know he's listening, because we know he listens. And we should wait to do this until I think we know. He, in fact, we should all text him and be like, hey, uh, check, check out the... You're going to want to tune in next segment. So I think we should rip him. I mean, far be it for me to throw stones. It took me a year to figure out how to pronounce my college quarterback's last name in Tua Tonga Valoa. Yeah. So I, I really a, can't... You know, that's a pretty hard name to pronounce, though. Like Louisville, that one's pretty rough. <laughs> Sorry, Willie. That's the Can- that's the Canada in me. Well, it's not like the thing is, is you could. That's like the second worst. Because you could say Louisville, you could say Louisville, right? Or you could say Louisville. So like Louisville's not even like Louisville is the one that's still technically correct, but also wrong at the same time. Louisville is just not even close. It's just not even in the same category. Like, Louisville is in Texas. That yeah, right, go. right. Like it's spelled with a W. <laughs> there's a, there's a W in there. Um, like you, people say Louisville. People say that Louisville Slugger. Mm-hmm. You know, people say Louisville, which is not how the locals pronounce it. It's, it's Louisville. That is correct. Louisville. You got to say it like again. Just put a bag of marbles in your mouth. Louisville, Cookville, Crossville, Knoxville. The Fighting Stillmans. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad that Willie caught him on it, too. That's good. Oh, he checked him right away. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It's good. Uh, so Josh Ward will join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. Loaded show today. Uh, Titans and the Broncos coming up on Sunday. And I, for one, literally, and I'm being dead honest when I say this, I don't know how this game will come playing out. Like, I am literally 0 for 5 picking Titans games this year. Not against the spread. But straight up, every time I say they're going to win or lose, the opposite happens. I have no idea what to expect Sunday. Uh, let me throw a few numbers at you guys here. Just uh, see what you think. Um, Joe Flacco, 2-3 and three all-time in the regular season against the Tennessee Titans. 61% of his passes. Um, not a whole lot of yardage there. 5.8 yards per attempt for Joe Flacco in 175 attempts in five games. That means he's averaged 35 pass attempts per game against the Titans. That's the fifth worst number of his career against any opponent. Uh, listen, it, they, they, he threw the ball 52 times in a loss two years ago for the Ravens. He threw the ball 37 times last year in the win. The, the Broncos don't want him throwing the ball that much. Um, and, and, Derek, I know you're going to do your dissection later. I don't know. Nah, no, I'm not. We're going to talk prayers. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, still 78 games to go, guys. Uh, I, I don't know if 
if if what he, they're asking him to do at Denver is far different than what Baltimore asked him to do, but he he averaged 35 pass attempts a game against the Titans for his career in the five games that he played against them and and just never you know never more than 6.4 yards per attempt he just never picks up big yards for them and the Broncos clearly want to run the football with Lindsey and Freeman so if 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 the Titans can turn this into a Joe Flacco throwing the ball kind of game I feel like that is what they want to do because I think the Broncos want to keep Joe limited 20 pass attempts, 25 pass attempts at the most, they want to be handing the football off. So if the Titans can turn them into an offense that has to throw the football, they've gotten out to two big leads lately, the Broncos. They got out to a big lead, 17-0 halftime lead last week, let the Chargers come back, 17-6 halftime lead on Jacksonville the the week before, let Jacksonville come back. They've had good hot starts, and that allows Joe Flacco not to throw the football. This is a huge first quarter for the Titans because if you can get a lead – you're forcing Joe Flacco to throw the football, and that's not what the Denver Broncos want him to want, want them to do. I mean, you you look at this in Mace. I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out just you know, last week the Titans looked awful. The Broncos looked like world beaters as an 0 and 4 team taking it to the Chargers. So I, I'd like to think the NFL is one of these leagues where as soon as you think you have either team figured out, they flip the script on you. So that would lead to Tennessee bouncing back this week and Denver showing us why they're one and four. But I mean, I, I, the one thing I can guarantee is that the Titans will come out with an energy level. I don't know if they'll execute. I don't know if they'll protect Mariota, but they should certainly have a little piss and vinegar to their step uh, after the week they had this past week. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the offensive lines getting ridiculed. Um, you know, the they hadn't been able to you know generate points the last you know few weeks. Um, this team, you know, they are, they are, I mean, it, it's this, like we said yesterday, it's one of those games that they got to have. And not to say it's a, you know, it's a must win, but it is sort of. They will a, not be eliminated from the playoffs yeah, if they lose. <laughs> it's sort of a, they got, they, this is a win they need, um, you know, after how they start off how they started off the season the first four games. They need this win. And going down to Denver is going to be tough. Um, you know, they have to – the Titans have to stop the run uh, because uh, Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsay, they're probably one of the, if not the best one-two punch in the National Football League right now. Um, so And they run violently. Yeah. yeah. So they got yeah, to – They like to run the ball. Denver is going to try to run – with that zone with that zone blocking, they're going to try to run the football. They're, yeah, especially inside zone team. Think, think about look at these rushing numbers defensively for the Denver Broncos. This is their game log so far in five games. Last week they gave up thirty five yards rushing. That's insane. The week before two sixty nine to Jacksonville, then seventy seven in week three, one fifty three in week two, and ninety eight yards rushing in week one. They're either it's feast or famine with their rushing defense. They're, mm-hmm. they're either completely dominant and you're getting less than. 80 yards rushing and you've been stopped or they're just getting completely boat raced and again 270 yards rushing to Jacksonville and 153 in week two allowed that there's no if the trend holds firm that they'll if they're alternating great and poor defensive showings against the run this week tells you that the Titans should be able to run the football again I I think they're going to be keying on Derrick Henry I think the Titans are keying on Lindsey and Freeman so it comes down to which defense can run the can can stop the run, um, and and certainly the the Titans have 
you know, look, neither team are elite at stopping the run, uh, but they've had their moments of looking good. And so it's, it's, this is one of those where you said, Nick, it's just we don't have any idea how I- any of the individual matchups go. I like the Titans secondary and Dean Pease against Joe Flacco. So to me, if, if they need to load up and stop the run and, allow, and force Joe Flacco to th- throw the football, that feels like the best approach on defense. Tell me if you guys agree with this take. I'm thinking about this week, but I'm also looking ahead to next week. Not from a game plan st- standpoint with the Chargers, but from what that stadium will look like next week. I think if the Titans lose on this Sunday against the Denver Broncos, the following week against the Chargers, you're going to see the emptiest Nissan Stadium has ever been in the John Robinson era of football. And the reason I say that is Titans fans looking at their team 2-4, and four, and then also the Chargers, who, by the way, have no home field advantage, much less a fan base that travels. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see it like the Colts or the Texans or the Packers or the Eagles where the opposing team comes into your stadium. Next week, if they lose to Denver, mm-hmm. Titans-Chargers-Nissan Stadium, ghost town. Well, it's going to be if that if they do lose, I mean, it does. You know, it's like a gut punch um, to the yeah. fan base because now you come back home, you know, two and four, and now you got to dig yourself out of a hole. Um, coming back, you know, three and well, with three and three. Bless you, bless me. Uh, coming back with a. Can you bless yourself? Yeah, I think you can. Yeah, Quentin Williams does it. Yeah, but he played fifteen years in the league. But yeah, Quentin Williams, like the rook, the rookie for the Jets. Yeah. He did an interview and he like sneezed and he said, "Bless me." And he also st- he also did an interview where he stopped dead in the middle of his tracks and realized he was like, "Nah, I'm good," because <laughs> he saw Nick Saban on his shoulder. <laughs> nah, 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 I'm good. Kyler Murray's not really. Nah, I'm good. yeah, he can nah, play. Good. Yeah, he's good. Uh, yeah, but this is this is a game coming back three three rather than yeah. two four is big. The perception it gives the fans, it gives the fans this team still have hope. If they come back with a loss, a lot of fans, I might just think, I I, I believe a lot of fans, if the, if indeed that is the case, a lot of fans are gonna, you know, it, here we go again. This is not hockey, okay? This is this is not hockey where it's you not eighty two games. This is not hockey where you have a huge win and everybody's up and you win and it's great, but then you have to ignore it and disappear and move on from it because you have a huge game the very next day tomorrow night. You've got to go on the road this weekend and play another hockey game. So you cannot dwell on a big comeback win over the Capitals. You have to just move on. It's not the same in, in, in football. You come no. back from as a 2-4 deficit, and you spend a week thinking about it and mm-hmm. a week looking at yourself, watching film, listening to people talk about your team. It's so different from, you know, had the Preds not come back and won last night, it, you know, I don't think anything – all right, we'd go, okay, that's not good. That's right. not a good win. But, like, I got another chance to – you get you get right back on the ice two days later, and and so it's you have to forget about stuff in hockey real fast, and and in football it's different. It's you got to move on mentally, but don't tell me it doesn't linger for five six days where you're just having to deal with the conversation right about who you are as a team. It's very very different in the NFL and and in college even more so when you only have twelve cracks at it versus the NHL where okay great great comeback win last night. What does it mean? No, it means you got to win. That's it. Yeah, you got your two points. It's time to move on, and the, it doesn't matter. So. The world didn't stop. You know, there's no parades. They got a great comeback win, and that's what it was. And in the NFL, I mean, if you lose by a hundred or win by a hundred, um, you're able to soak in it a little bit longer. And but the bad part about it is, if, if you lose, you get to soak you're, you're in wallowing. It. Yeah, exactly. You get to soak in it, whereas. You know, some of these other sports that play a bunch of games and right now hockey is like, yes, we had a great win. Uh, everybody's happy, but 
it doesn't mean a thing if they then lose the next day. You know, it's like, okay, it's this roller coaster of emotions. Let's just keep it even kill and great win. You know, when you play 82 games and, but when you don't have that many games in other sports, it's like, oh man, whoo, that was a tough loss. Now I got to sit here and hear everybody talk about how bad we are. Every possession against Denver is huge. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to is, you know, the Titans are the, I think the second worst team in the NHL right now in terms of three and outs, they're, they're. They're going three and out on offense more than every other team in the league except for one. You got to stop that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's every, it's going to be every possession in the first half. The Broncos have gotten out to, as I said earlier, the Broncos have gotten out to big leads in each of the last two games and allowed teams to come back. You got to stop that trend if you're the Titans. You've got to play well in the first quarter, which means no three and outs. Even if you don't score, you've got to at least sustain some drives, keep possession. Um, allow your defense to rest a little bit because, if, again, it's going to be another one of those defensive struggles where both teams are playing well on that side of the ball. And, of course, we say that, and then it's going to turn out to be a 31-27 game. But, you know, smart on-paper football analysis tells you this is going to be another low-scoring game where both teams want to run the football and the and both defensive coordinators, both well-respected defensive coordinators, are going to be looking to stop that run and, and force the quarterback to make plays. All right, coming up next, can the Tennessee Volunteers get on the board as far as a conference victory? We'll talk to our buddy Josh Ward from WNML in Knoxville. That's coming up next on Morning Drive. All right, welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5. The game, Nick Braden, D-Mace, Marquise with you here on a football Friday. Hopefully we hear this song plenty tomorrow as the Vols are about a touchdown home dog yeah. to Mississippi State. Yeah. yeah, Come on, have some faith, Braden. Come yeah. on, man. But, you know, well, you no, never they know. played a lot in the pregame, a lot at halftime. You'll you probably know. hear the song regardless of the score. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. But but as far as touchdowns go, eh, okay, we'll see. All right. We'll see if Brian Maurer can change that perception. Uh, we welcome in our buddy Josh Ward from WNML in Knoxville. Josh, if the Vols lose tomorrow, do you plan on sleeping on top of a car dealership on a roof for a couple of days? No, my uh, buddy Tyler Ivins has that locked down. <laughs> uh, so uh, I ran it by my wife to see, hey, you know, what if I, I go up there and hang out with Tyler for a little while and uh, – you guys probably know the look I received, so here I am uh, talking to you, and I'm nowhere near a, uh, the, the roof of a car dealership. But by the way, you know it's set up right next to the interstate, so he's still broadcasting there uh, each day on our station, and it is—it's uh, not quiet up there on the roof right next to I-40. No, and I, like I've been to that dealership, Josh, and it's like I yeah. like I know how close the interstate is. That which and the interstates are lit up at night, which means there's no way that dude's sleeping at night <laughs> at all out outside in Knoxville October weather, although it's been rather warm. Um, let, let, let's get to the game itself, and I want, I want to ask you about the quarterback. You know, one guy's got twenty, what twenty six starts for Jared Garantano right now under his belt. I know Brian Maurer sort of injected some energy into the first half offense against Georgia, but is there any reason to go back at all to the veteran in these must win situations, or are you just now at this stage of the season trying to learn what you've got in Brian Maurer moving forward? What, what, what is the priority for Jeremy Pruitt and Jim Chaney at quarterback? Well, it's a good question because Jeremy Pruitt has continued to talk about Garantano staying ready and that he's probably going to be needed to help Tennessee. And he says that for a number of reasons. One, Mauer could just get hurt. He got knocked out of the game for a brief moment last week, and Garantano had to go in and and threw a nice pass and came back out, and then Mauer threw an interception. And then that can be the other part. What if he doesn't come out and play as well? Talking about Mauer. What if he comes out and struggles at times? Or or what if he really hits a cold spell like he did against Georgia and the offense can't do anything like it couldn't in the third quarter last week? 
I don't think Jeremy Pruitt would really hesitate to make another move if he believes Mauer's not getting it done. Uh, now, going into the game, Mauer's the clear starter and should be, and they've got to see if they can build on what he did last week. And their hope is that he plays four quarters and they get out of there with the win and there's even more to build on moving forward. But uh, I, I think Jeremy Pruitt still is concerned about some of the turnover issues and how Brian Mauer deals with pressure because he didn't deal with it well last week at all and they need to see improvement there, but they're going to give him a chance to improve, and the focus has been on getting him ready uh, to be the guy to lead Tennessee's offense. Now, this team, um, looking at their schedule, looking at the way they played um, last week against Georgia, that second half was just, um, you know, they completely couldn't get anything generated. Um, And if they can't pick up a win here with Mississippi State, where where is the other wins on this schedule? And I know we, we look at Vandy, and, and that's probably the only win moving forward um, in regards to the, the SEC. Now, they have UAB left on their schedule, but as far as the SEC, uh, if they can't pick up a win against Mississippi State other than Vandy, do you see this team, you know, ending the season with just one, possibly one win um, within the conference? Possibly. It's difficult to feel great about Tennessee's chances with many of the games remaining uh, in the league, especially if Tennessee were to lose this week. This is just one Tennessee has to have because you can start to play the cumulative effect game. If Tennessee loses this week, then the Vols are about to be 1-6 because they play on the road against Bama next week. So you're at 1-6 coming back home to play South Carolina, and South Carolina's not a great team. That's a winnable game, but South Carolina would be favored in that one. And uh, you're coming off the Bama game where you physically Depth is already a concern for the team. And then where are you mentally? If, if at that point you're still looking for your first SEC win, Tennessee will have had eight straight losses against FBS opponents going back to last year, including the Missouri and Vandy games to close out the season. So uh, you don't want to put too much on one game in the middle of the season, but considering how Tennessee's season has gone and what the talk has been around the program and what you have coming up next, I just don't see any way around this one. Tennessee has to get this game, and, and getting to a bowl game has to be a goal still for the team. It's a remarkable long shot, but if they're going to have any kind of chance, then realistically they have to win on Saturday as well because if, if they're 1-6, asking that team to win five straight to close it out is, is pretty much an impossibility. So that's why I would come back to where's the team mentally at that point. Beating Mississippi State doesn't fix everything, but it, it sure could hold off some of the problems that could come with a loss. Now, if again, if if they don't pick up a victory this week. Looking at their schedule, let's just say if they get one victory within the conference, you're talking, you know, no more than two or three wins in the last two years. Is this program, take away the history, I'm talking about where it is now, is this program one of one of the worst programs in Power Five? Not I'm not talking I'm not talking facilities or, you know, the money they have aside. I'm just saying what's on the field, the product, the last couple of years. Is this possibly one of the worst programs in, in, in Power 5 football? The uh, the product on the field, the results would say yes. Uh, you would grade a little bit on the curve because of the competition, but if I say that, you can also come back to me with, yeah, but they also lost to Georgia State, and they lost at home to BYU, and that would be true. Uh, it's, a, it's a team that or a program, I guess, that two years ago didn't win in the SEC, went 4-8 last year, uh, went 5-7. and seven. It's also the blowout losses. Uh, last week was Jeremy Pruitt's eighth loss by 25 or more points, uh, going back to the start of last season. So uh, with the way that Tennessee has played uh, in games that it should win, and then, of course, against the top competition, the way that it's just blown out Tennessee, uh, the Vols have shown up as a team that, that other 
programs can't wait to face. And if you lose to Mississippi State, if that's the conversation we're having, that just adds to it. So uh, for so many reasons, yeah, put that one on there as well. You want to avoid being considered one of the worst Power 5 programs in the country right now, especially if, if you're trying to go out on the recruiting trail and get more players to help you in the future. Uh, that would be another reason that you don't want to lose this week. Josh, let's look at the flip side of this. Tennessee defensively and what they have to go against with Mississippi State offensively. We've seen Joe Moorhead having issues at quarterback this year, whether it's Tommy Stevens or Garrett Schrader. How do you think the Vols match up on that side of the ball against a Joe Moorhead offense? Well, uh, Tennessee's defense needs to be better this week at trying to uh, make tackles and slow down Kylan Hill. That's where it starts. It's just such a terrific player and this is the kind of game where he has to be fired up he's had two weeks to to get ready so probably a little fresher he's great after contact Tennessee has had problems at times especially last week in uh, bringing guys down and yeah if Schrader's out there that's something to pay attention to as well with his running ability uh, Tennessee is dealing with some depth issues at linebacker uh, can Toho Toho and, and Daniel Batuli really hold up for four quarters playing just about every snap at linebacker that's a big ask and uh, if Tennessee's not up at halftime, you have an even bigger concern heading into the third and fourth quarters. Tennessee's been outscored in the second half of each of the four losses this season. The combined score is seventy-one to nineteen. It's it, you know it's big part of the gap there is what Florida and Georgia did, but Tennessee just has not got better as the games have gone along. So Tennessee's defense being able to slow down Mississippi State early, I think it's just it's an it's an absolute must for Tennessee to be able to win this game. But let's see what State does at quarterback. Let's see if they use both guys and. Uh, let's see if Tennessee can slow down that run early. Both teams, uh, by the way, in this one are saying we we have to run the football. Mississippi State might have a little more confidence that it can run the football. Uh, Josh, real real quickly here on Bryce Thompson, I don't think anybody's surprised to see him losing his cool on the field on Saturday night. Um, I, I find it a little difficult to to sort of mesh the Jeremy Banks situation with the Bryce Thompson situation outside of the fact that one of them's an all-conference-type performer and the other one was a third stringer that changed positions. Um, how are fans viewing how Jeremy Pruitt has handled discipline so far this year? Um, I think overall, um, maybe this, maybe it's not right to say most. A lot of fans have uh, have kind of just moved on from it, and uh, there were some that were really concerned with that Jeremy Banks video, and there were some that were really concerned with uh, the Bryce Thompson allegations. But uh, I guess the way that I'm answering your question is, I just I don't hear that much about it from Tennessee fans. I think a lot of fans. Uh, said, okay, that's not a good look for us, but then move on and the focus is on what they get done on the football field. And uh, That was not a good look for Bryce on the field last week either. They're kind of fortunate to have him available for the start of the game uh, this Saturday against Mississippi State. So uh, it's not come up that big of a deal yet, I don't think, but if Tennessee keeps losing, then you know that the off-field stuff can come back up in conversation as well. Do, do you think Bryce Thompson should still should be on the field right now? I thought they brought him back too early. I thought they brought him back too early. I thought that there should have been a much greater concern with uh, how things are going with him off the field, considering the multiple very serious allegations. Obviously, Tennessee thought differently with that. Josh, always a pleasure. We appreciate the insight. You got it. Thanks, guys. Josh Ward, WNML in Knoxville. That was hard to watch, that sequence uh, on Saturday, for me at least. I don't know about you guys, but I I see him throw a punch and get into fights on on the field, and I'm just... It's hard to watch. I don't know. As a Tennessee alumni, I'm not proud of that. So. Okay. Uh, we will come back and get to the weekend that is in the SEC. And I got a really good feeling about one game. And I've had a good feeling about this one since Sunday afternoon. Details coming up next here on Morning Drive. 
All right, welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. We've got Teron Davenport still coming up this morning. Uh, Willie Donick is going to join us. A lot to get to. Uh, coming off the Josh Ward interview, I was thinking about this uh, for the weekend that is in the SEC, and it's a loaded weekend of good games. But I have had this strong feeling since the line came out on Sunday afternoon going into Sunday evening. That's when college football lines come out. You know, usually around halftime of the, the late window of the NFL games on a Sunday. And the moment I saw that LSU was a 13 to 14 point favorite against Florida, uh-huh. I have had the strong feeling that the Gators are going to get housed <laughs> in Death Valley on Saturday night. Is anybody um, with me on that? Uh, so I, I believe you. I, oh, yeah, I'm 100% with you. And, and I think it's you, you cannot play a game of that level of physicality against Auburn and put that much energy into an outcome and, and then expect to do it again against a better team on the road with an injured quarterback. I, I don't I don't see how it's possible that you can like you're coming off this and LSU's coming off a performance where they played arguably their most complete game defensively and offensively where they didn't really get challenged by a lesser opponent and they sort of just cruise. So they're in they're rested. They're ready to go and you just came off a game where you're blocking Derek Brown and and Marlon Davidson and like you're you had to battle for every yard. You know, you're physically were sore after that game. I guarantee it. Your quarterback is banged up. I, I just don't see how you can match the level of energy and intensity. The swamp was just on fire last week. I just don't see how you match that level of intensity. Now, these games have been close. LSU Florida has been close by and large almost every year. So that's where Vegas is begging you to take Florida plus the 13 and a half. But it, I, I'm with you. I, I this This could be, you know, 38-13 – you know, somewhere in that territory, thirty-five to ten, thirty-five fourteen, somewhere in there. You know, it, it, LSU is going to score, and I don't know if Florida can 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 keep up. This is going to be a um, a statement game for LSU. I think this is the game where you know I think Ed Orgeron um, is going to look at it and say, you know what, fellas, this is the game that that we got to make a statement because after that they have Auburn and Alabama back-to-back weeks after Mississippi State um, which should be another win for them <clears throat> but then they got Auburn and Alabama and just think if they house Florida beat Mississippi State headed into that Auburn game mm-hmm. even though Auburn already have one loss and I think they would be a two a 10 to 12 point favorite against Auburn all depends on how they play against Florida that matchup in Tuscaloosa Man, it might be a battle between one and four. I, I just feel like there's there's something to be said for schedules catching up to you. I felt like Auburn, it, it caught up to them last week. You know, they've played Oregon, they played Texas A&M, they played Mississippi State. Sooner or later, it catches up to you. You look at Florida, they played Miami, they had a rivalry game against Tennessee. Now, I know they beat them 34-3 to and it wasn't competitive, but eventually it starts to catch up to you. And to your point with LSU, you mentioned the teams that are coming up for them. Uh-huh. Since that game against Texas, they've had a bye. They played Vanderbilt, so we'll call that two byes. Yeah. Uh, they had Utah State. Yikes. They've almost been forgotten about since that Texas moment. They've been off the national radar. Yeah, and, and they, they gave up some yards, um, you know, certainly to, um, to, to Vanderbilt. They gave up some yards to, to Texas, certainly. They gave up points to Vanderbilt. Two of those were defensive touchdowns. 
But they're, what they did to a very good quarterback, and again, Utah State, people are not going to look at a Utah State win and give them much mm-hmm. credit for that, but they should. Utah State's one of the better group of five teams. Jordan Love is one of the better group of five quarterbacks in America. They gave up, I want to say, less than four yards per play on defense, which is a, an astounding number. Three interceptions. They forced turnovers on a good quarterback. That was as complete a showing offensively and defensively that LSU's had all season. So they're coming off a a really just kind of breeze through dominating performance. They're rested. They're at home. The other team is coming off. Again, I, I don't know if it helps them, if the adrenaline helps them from the win last week, but it, it to me it felt like a costly victory. Your quarterback gets hurt it, it, with the MCL issue. You know, your running game wasn't particularly successful. You had one long run, which is football. I get it. But y- you largely were averaging two, like two yards a carry against Auburn on defense. How many times did Derek Brown – make a giant play against you uh, you know like I know you've got corners that can match up with LSU's wide receivers but it just doesn't feel like this is a a good smart spot to be on the van on the, on the uh, Florida side of things and if Vegas is putting this number at 13 like I thought it was going to be like eight or nine mm-hmm. and then it comes out at 13 and a half and I'm going well Vegas is telling you please put your money down on the Florida Gators because they believe they're going to get a house which means they, they believe that LSU is going to roll so I don't know if you, I'm learning more and more about the Vegas lines from hanging out with you this much, Nick. And it's like, uh, you know, well, because the novice better is going to sit there and say, well, oh, I, so I, many I, points for Florida. I, right. ju- I just watched Florida right. beat Auburn. Oh, I love the fact that give me 13 points. I right, uh, see. Here's this is this is uh, I'm, I'm the, the the student here and you're the teacher. So let me ask you if this is another one of those. For example, the Seahawks are like a one and a half point two point favorite on Cleveland. See Seattle's surging, coming off a huge win, four and one. Cleveland doesn't look very good. They get destroyed on a Monday night. People overreact to what they see on national TV. Am I wrong to think that Cleveland plus the two is the play here? No, because Vegas is begging you to take Seattle, the, right? All, all of the quote experts are jumping on Cleveland from from a gambling so standpoint. It's the same. It's the so same. You're situ- right. It's the same situation, right? Like people Although, are overreacting yes, to last week. But I disagree on that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. If I told you right now, based on the way the Cleveland Browns are playing, are you going to back Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield? Or Russell Wilson well, no, and Pete Carroll. I, I, no, I I'm agree. Going with Russell Wilson uh, and Pete Carroll, obviously. But that's what Vegas is trying to right. get you to bet because they're making this line so small. You know why is it, again? I'm all just trying to. It's us trying to learn. Sort of now that gambling's legal and it's more of a thing that we talk about, even though we always kind of talked about it. it. It's it's something to. It's always the opposite of what you think Vegas is telling you. And and in, in Seattle minus one and a half is telling you to take Seattle. Vegas wow. is telling you to take Seattle, which means Cleveland outright in the, in the win. Same thing with LSU and Florida. Vegas is telling you to take Florida, which means they think LSU is going to roll. Well, yeah, based upon – well, we could say – you could say, well, they had trouble against Auburn. Um, they had trouble doing – other than that long run, um, I mean – Auburn pretty ha- – that was a back-and-forth game. And Auburn still had an opportunity, you know, to, to win that game and just didn't do it. Um, because Florida made plays. You got to give it up to them. They made plays. Um, but looking at LSU, I just think LSU, if you take away the Alabama receivers with Judy and Ruggs and those guys, this might be the second best um, group in the country. Um, in Jefferson Chase and Marshall Jr. These guys, each of them have, well, one one has um, seven touchdowns, the other two have six, but they're all hovering over 300 yards. Uh, one has five, one has four, and one has three. This is an explosive offense, and they've never, even with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., mm-hmm. they've never had an offense 
that has been this explosive. And I would put them, as far as the, this trio receivers, now they may not be as explosive as um, Alabama's trio or four guys that they have, but they are they are a close second. So Florida LSU is the 7 o'clock ESPN game on Saturday night. Herb Street will be doing that because game day will be down there. But before that, at 2.30 on CBS is the Bama A&M game. And speaking of Kirk Herb Street, Herb Street is getting killed this week on social media for saying that College Station is an overrated home environment. What? How can he say that? He says he basically, when's the last time Texas A&M pulled off a big upset at home? I mean, they've lost all four games to Auburn since joining the SEC at home. What? But is he saying it's overrated, I mean, Michigan's because, overrated I think. because they hadn't pl- because they hadn't won there recently, or is it overrated because the fans are just not loud? It's and, definitely loud. And every, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's an awesome environment. If he said, yeah. how is how is he framing it? Because they, they, if he's framing it. That they hadn't won because they have top twenty-five wins at home, although they not, haven't not had that quote signature yeah, and, one. And and again, the last big win they've had over anybody was Manziel over Bama. That was in Tuscaloosa, correct? Mm-hmm. In twenty twelve, like twenty eleven, even maybe uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, it's their first year in the in the league. But it, it's it, it is it, under Kevin Sumlin. I, I completely agree with him. The team wasn't tough. The, the Texas A M wasn't a tough football team under Kevin Sumlin. They mm-hmm. they were a flash team, right? A lot of flashy parts, a lot of out-in-space parts, and, and it, they didn't have a toughness to them. Jimbo Fisher has given them a toughness. The crowd is spectacular. They are 100,000-plus strong, and they're loud. It's not like Michigan, where, or even Texas, for that matter. Although, the Texas-LSU game, Herbie mm-hmm. and those guys were raving about how this is a different Texas uh, situation now. The Longhorns actually feel like a big-time atmosphere, because I went to games in the 90s all the time at Texas, and it was it was big when the Aggies played, but it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly a, a loud 100,000-seat stadium like LSU or Tennessee, or Georgia, or whatever, or Auburn even. And Michigan's like that. Michigan's the quietest 100,000-seat stadium you'll ever play. It's amazing. I would not have put A&M in that category. But how is he framed? UCLA or USC in that category before Texas Yeah, but you... You say he says it's overrated, but how... In what context? Is it... As in A&M's got no chance of beating Bama. Okay, that home field advantage really don't mean anything in this in this now, regard. Now but, I I agree that I don't think they have a chance to beat Bama, yeah, but that's not. But because, I don't think it's because, because of the crowd. Of the crowd. Yeah. yeah, I just think Alabama's the better it's, team. There's football players yeah. that are playing the game, and I don't I don't know who's going to cover uh, the the receiving core no. for Alabama, which is going to be the same thing we're going to say basically every game the rest of the way is how do you stop Tua? Because you cannot beat Alabama unless you can score 38 points. You, you can't do it. And so if you can get to 38 against them, then you got a chance because you know they're going to get to 35. There's just no way you're going to keep two and those receivers from less than 35 points or 38 points. So I don't see how A&M makes it that kind of game. I just don't. Time for another round of silly underdog picks. Make your picks now on the three college football underdogs that you think will win outright this Saturday. Weekly winners get a pair of tickets to an upcoming Nashville sporting event or concert. Silly Underdog Picks is sponsored by the Volunteer Hose and Gasket. You can play at thegamenashville.com or on the ESPN Game Nashville mobile app. We will come back. Nashville Predators with a unbelievable third period last night where they rallied from a 4-2 deficit. They put up a four spot in the final 20 to win 6-5. We'll get to that on the other side. It's Morning Drive back after this.